facts. Remember he talked about the love of tree of knowledge? See, you're usually trying to get facts to get to Jesus. You must get Jesus to get to the facts. I'm okay. A little slow tonight. You didn't get that nap in, or maybe you did and you haven't woken up yet. Not all facts equal truth, but all truth has facts. There's a guy, he was sitting at a coffee house, just having, oh, it's totally cool. I have eight kids, love the noise. It's, it makes me feel at home, so please feel free. Um, he was at, the, at a coffee house having a coffee, and he wasn't paying much attention to these two guys that sat next to him. He just wanted to be by himself and read a book and have a cup of coffee. And these two guys were talking business and whatever, whatever, and he so wasn't interested, and he's reading his book. But at the end of this chapter, he took a breath, got a sip of coffee, and he heard the... Uh, two guys begin to kind of change the conversation. They started talking about sports. Well, he's an athlete, loves sports. Well, they weren't just talking about any sport. They're talking about his favorite sport, football. I heard you guys supposed they had a football team up here or something like that. I didn't hear about that. Buckeye, who's that? Okay, anyway. Uh, I'm just kidding. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. You, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a dog fan, and it's horrible. We have to deal with Alabama, so yeah, fine. It's great. Anyway, but they were talking about football, and so this guy got real excited. And he's trying to read his book, but now what is he doing? Now pay attention. He didn't care about these two's conversation. What he cares about now is what interests him. You guys staying with me? He's not interested in the two people having the conversation. He's interested in the conversation itself that interests him. And so he's listening in, and, and, he, and finally he can't help it. He's like, guys, how about that game on Monday night? The guys are kind of taken back to this stranger just interrupted them and they said what game last night monday night okay what game monday night football nfl and they begin to chuckle and they begin to say we're talking about world football better known to you as soccer he had all the facts but he lacked truth how many know if the enemy can't get you to believe there isn't a god the next best thing he can do is give you all the facts about god as long as you still don't arrive to the truth Give you the parts of God that benefit you. Uh-oh. <laughs> a lot of us, as we spend time with the Lord, we tend to read the Bible. I'm pulling this over here so hopefully everybody can see a little bit. I'll kind of do this here. Lighting's awesome. It's like our church. That's so great. Dark. But a lot of us read the Bible like a partial conversation. We read it from Genesis 1-1 to Revelations 22:21, and in this conversation we have it we're talking about God creates the heaven and earth I actually like it dark in here you guys can't see my artwork so it's great and then he creates man man falls and then somewhere in here we have like Noah's Ark if there's any child in here they should feel really good about their artwork Noah's Ark and we had the promise of Abraham and then we had the Ten Commandments Better known as the, I don't know, my, I was going to say McDonald's, but it's not good. And then the arches, I'm such a bad, the cross, and we're somewhere right here towards the end, waiting for the return of the Lord. And most of the stories we know are about what? About man being saved from its sin, man being saved from its condition. And that is, how many know that is throughout the whole Bible? It's throughout. Anybody know the number one verse in the scriptures? John 3, 16, now that's a good one. I mean, no, that's a good one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for whoever believes in him should not perish, or shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Now, that, that story is really good, but think about what is that verse all about? What do we like about that verse? And you guys can talk back to me. What do we like about that verse? God giving, God giving that's good, right? 
He loves us, right? He saves us. And here's the problem. If that portion for God doesn't mess you up, then you won't understand the rest of that verse. We talked about that a little bit this morning, but if for God does not mess you up, but you're really excited about what for God does, you forget the for God part, you won't even realize who just did it. And you reap the benefits without falling in love. For God so loved the world. We love that scripture. Why? Because it has facts that are about our redemption. How many realize that might sound slightly like a partial conversation? You guys staying with me? And the enemy doesn't mind you reading the scriptures as long as you're addicted to a partial conversation. You listen to the facts that are about you and stay away from the truths that will set you free from being about you. How many know the next great chapter out there, verse? What's the next favorite verse out there? Anybody else know? You know. I can do all things Christ strengthens me. It's not number two, but it is on the top ones, I'm sure of it. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. But who again tends to be the subject matter in there? Who's the object to that? Do you, I just want to realize maybe you're not somebody of grammar and me either. I'm with you on that. If you listen to me speak, you know that's not, I'm not really good at grammar. But one thing I do know is that I am not the subject. He's the subject. I'm the object. But many of us made him the object to our subject. Are you guys understanding? And God is trying to transform it. Remember, if the enemy can't lie to you, there isn't a God, then he must deceive you about God. Give you little truths, but keep you from the truth. Give you facts, but keep you from being free. So what's another great verse? Number two verse. I mean, you're going to name it here in a pretty second, I'm pretty sure. Which one? That's another good one, but that's not it. But that's another one about his protection, being there for us. And guys, these are all amazing. Remember, they're all equally inspired, but there is an order. Remember, he's a God of what? And we usually think that's about our management system. It has nothing to do with your management system. He's a God of order. So although these are all equal in Scripture, they're still in order. Do you guys understand? Okay, so how many know like in a family, everyone's equal in the family, but there's an order in the family? It doesn't mean somebody's better or worse, it's just order. Same thing with the scriptures. I'll just give it to you, Jeremiah 29, 11. Anybody? For I know the what? Give you that hope and give you that future. Like if you already had Jesus, don't you already have a hope in the future? Oh, come on, church. I thought we already had one. Oh, you were talking about a temporal 70 years hope in future? You really think Jeremiah 29, 11 was about your 70 years on this earth? Actually, about Jeremiah 29, 11, if we put it in the context, is when the Israelites rebelled against God. Now, pay attention. They never denied God as God, and they still served God. They still did the sacrifices, but they just added some other gods into their life. Might sound like a lot of us today. <laughs> We're not denying God. We actually believe in God. We even do the sacraments of God. We talk about God. We just have added a few extra things with God into our lives. In the name of God, loves me the way that I am. I'm not saying he doesn't, but he loves you the way that you are so you can love the way that he is so it would change the very things you love. Oh, come on, church. He's trying to change the very things you love, not keep you where you were. That's not freedom. That's hell on earth. To know how great God is but not to actually live in that greatness is hell. What's the what is evil? Just the absence of God. What's the closest thing to evil? To actually know about God and live in the absence of God. To proclaim God, but lack the power of God. 
And Jeremiah 29, 11 is, here's the Israelites, they're serving God. I mean, they're not, they're serving God, they're not denying God, but they're also adding unto God. They're adding other idols into the life, other things in the life. And you guys need to pay attention. The way they added things in their life, it wasn't just this all, any kind of idol could come in. Most of them had to do with survival, about getting rain, about getting food. Rain brought the crops in. And so they begin to, if they had like a drought year, they start looking about what they needed to do in order to make that rain happen so they wouldn't have a drought year again. They look to other people in the world, find out what they're doing, add that to their life so that they would have now a God that would help them with the rain to help them with their crops. Hmm, sounds like a lot of us are addicted to our life or trying to get a 401k and a retirement plan like everyone else. When Jesus says, sell everything, do not worry about tomorrow for today has enough in itself. Oh, come on now. But I didn't have enough money one month, so I want to make sure I have plenty of money. Who has money? You or God? I know that hits home a little bit. That's okay. I didn't get a lot of amens on that one, but that's all right. <laughs> and so in Jeremiah 29, 11, right before that, they're rebelling against God in the sense they're adding their idols into the life. They're adding the world in as they try to keep on walking with God. Finally, God keeps on begging them, saying, please come back to me. Please stop doing that. Please come back. And he does it for years and years. His mercy endures, but there comes a day he says, fine. You're not going to come with me and then have Babylon, the very God you're serving, they serve, have them come and be your masters. If you don't want to listen to me, then listen to them. So Babylon comes on, sweeping on in, takes over the Israelites. They're going to be in captivity for 70 years at least, but 70 years, a whole lifetime. Within that 70 years, at some point in time, they finally go, oh God, forgive us. We don't want Babylon anymore. We don't want their ways. We just want to go back. We just want you. And he goes, man, I forgive you, but you're going to finish out your 70 years, but know that I have good plans for you. Now, how many think that's a great verse? <laughs> if you fell away from God and you're coming back, that is a great verse. But for those that have God, you don't want to touch that verse. Are you guys staying with me? Because you're already walking in that plan. Oh, come on, church. But it's interesting as we go through these scriptures, we typically read all the stories that we like that are about us. We do devotions to motivate ourselves. We read the Psalms and, the, and we read sometimes the Proverbs and we definitely stay away from Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Only when our pastor tells us we have to read it. Revelations is only when we want a crazy story. We typically read things that, what, benefit our emotions and what we want. And I'm not, there's no problem with that. But when that's your only diet, you're probably drinking a lot of milk and you're probably not so healthy. But that beside all that, what's the motivation of reading all that? That's the key. Why are we only reading those things? Let's not look at it if it's bad or wrong to read those things. Let's ask the reason why. What is the motivation of why we're reading that thing? Maybe it's the same motivation that guy had in the coffee shop. The one that was looking, he only listened to the conversation when it what? Benefited who? Him. Something that he either liked or wanted, just like we heard up here. And, but here's the reality. There's things going on way before this conversation began. There's a larger conversation. What was before all this? God. Everybody say God. God. 
something throughout Scripture. We'll talk a little bit about it tonight, hopefully some more about it later on this week. If not, we'll have to come back and talk about it. But God's glory, His image, it's always been about God and His glory. And in Matthew chapter 25, it tells us that the foundation, um, before the foundation of the earth, there was one kingdom. Everybody say, one kingdom. Now the word kingdom, I always just assumed I knew what kingdom meant, but I really never did. And I actually had to look into it to actually understand it. It actually is broken down into two parts. King is the noun. Dome is a suffix. Don't worry about all that. Just the point of the two breaking down. The king. What's the difference between a president and a king? A president is elected by the people and for the people. Well, now we're kind of finding out may not be so true, but that's the point of it. <laughs> right? But that is the point of it, correct? And a president isn't a president. It's a person that holds the office of president. Just like a CEO isn't really a CEO, it just holds the title of CEO. You guys staying with me? Yeah. Now a king's different. A king is not just in a position, a king is the position. It's the very personality. If a, if a president likes golf, you don't have to like golf, but if the king likes golf and you're in the kingdom, guess what you're going to do? <laughs> if you don't like golf, you're still going to like golf. <laughs> Because it's under a kingdom. It's, under, it's a different story because it's about the personality. It's about the very essence. It's not just him sitting on the throne. It's everything he's doing that the kingdom is about. And so the king is a person, not just a position. Although, yes, it is a position, it's a person. Dome means dominion or domain, which means where, why, and how he rules. Where, why, and how he rules. Dome, dominion. So it's the, how, where the, the king, who he is, how, where, and why he rules. Another way I like to put that word is culture. The king and his culture. How many know to be a part of a culture and actually indulge in the full culture and become that culture, you must love what that culture loves? And I believe many of us in this house love what God loves. But see, here's the reality. It also means you hate what they hate. Many of us love what God loves, we just don't hate what God hates. And how many know if you don't hate what he hates, then you're going to do what he hates? Although you're doing what he loves, you're also doing what he hates. And what's wrong with most of the body of Christ is this, that we love what he loves, we're just not hating what he hates. And there's that whole debate about bringing the refugees over here from the Middle East that are being persecuted. And I don't want to give a political stance on it, not at all, but there were some good questions and one person said, well, them coming over, we understand they need to be rescued. That's not, a, that's not an issue. They need to get out of their current situation. But to bring them into the United States, let me ask you a question. Will they love what we love and will they hate what we hate? In other words, will they like our culture? They'll like our freedoms to get away from persecution. But see, they love that. And how many know we love that? Amen? That's why we love it right here, right? But they may not hate what we hate which is we don't like oppression of certain things like of women. We don't like to tell people that they have to be a part of religion in order to be a certain way. We like to let people choose. So they love what we love, but they don't hate what we hate, so therefore they may not be happy here. And how many know God does not want to marry a bride that won't be happy in his culture? He, are you guys staying with me? And so he, there was one king and one culture. I mean, everybody loved what God loved and everybody hated what God hated. How many know it's a peaceful place? No debates because there was nothing to debate about. Everybody's cool with everything. And then something happened, a great civil war, and I'm not talking about the north and the south. The place I live lost and the place I used to was born won, so it's good. I am talking about the civil war before time. 
And what happened? Lucifer wanted to be what? He wanted to be like his own God. He wanted his own kingdom. He's a false king, but he did set up a culture and a throne, and God gave him one. So now there's a split, and there are now how many kingdoms? Two kingdoms. There's a battle of kingdoms. This one loves what he loves and hates what he hates. This one loves what he loves and hates what he hates. Then all this stuff was created, man, Noah's Ark, the Ten Commandments, the promise and all that, and the Ten Commandments, the cross. Then we're somewhere here. But when all this is over, after Revelation 22, 21, and everything's done, what is left over? God, his glory, and how many kingdoms? Is this conversation about you and I getting saved, trying to get to heaven? Or is this conversation about God, his glory, and one kingdom? Is this conversation about the redemption of men? Or is this conversation about God, his glory, and one kingdom? And those that realize it get saved. For if you're only looking for redemption, who are you looking out for? But you're looking out for the king and his kingdom. Now who are you looking out for? See, we're trying to get saved from what we've done. No, we need to be saved from who we want to be. Oh, come on. And this is the larger conversation. God, his glory, and one kingdom. And those that realize it are invaded by the very prayer that he taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy what? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Our way is get saved and go to heaven. His way is get heaven to earth. Oh, come on. We're trying to get everybody to heaven. He's trying to get heaven to earth. Woo. We need to be set free. But see, if you're a partial conversation, you'll have all the facts. You're still going to lack the truth. We're going to build doctrines around men instead of building doctrines on a throne. Oh, come on, church. And so the Lord is trying to set you and I free from a partial conversation to bring us in to what he has for us. What did Jesus say? Seek ye first the what? Oh, he didn't say seek ye first salvation. He didn't say seek ye first the cross. Hmm. Wow. We might have a little bit different methodology. Remember we're talking about order? I believe tonight, I'm not going to say anything blowing your mind brand new as much as you're going to go, that's how the pieces fit. That's the picture. Anybody ever put a puzzle together and get it apart? You're like, I had no idea. That's the picture. I, try, I thought the dot to dots, if you get a really good dot to dot, because I have a lot of kids, we, have to, we play those things sometimes. Sometimes you look, think you know the picture and get done with it. You're like, oh, that's the picture. It's a butterfly, you know, and I thought it was a worm, you know, so it had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Turn with me real quickly to Luke 18. Everybody doing good tonight? Now, let's go ahead and turn this around for a minute and just put this behind us for a second. We'll come back to it in a little bit. All right. So, if we are going to a homeless shelter and going out to witness here in Toledo or come down to Atlanta to one of our mission trips or hang out with us and we go down to a homeless shelter our homeless shelters are tough at five o'clock you're not in you don't get in and so you got to be there at five that's it just be there so at 455 might be six but whatever time it is it closes down let's just say five it's 456 homeless guy comes you're handing out hot dogs he says man i have no idea about this this good news that you have this gospel 
but you have like two minutes to tell me before I have to leave because I have to go in there, but I want to pray about it tonight. So you can't give him a dissertation. You can't give him over-spiritualized words. He has no idea. You need to give him the basic of the gospel, just the basic gospel. So clear your heads, everything we just talked about, you know, you just got to give him the basic gospel. What would you normally want to make sure he knew? You only have two minutes. Fire away. Go. Rock you, yeah, I like that. All the words you use, rock your world, yes. Better yourself. Huh? Wages of sin or death, and he dies, so that's good. We're putting those things together. Amen. He'll rock our world. He loves us. Yes. You guys got about 30 more seconds. Yes. Eternal life. Anything else? Huh? Come on. Praise God. Yes. Anyone can be saved. What else? Have going to live in your heart. Amen. About last 10 seconds. What do you want to give them? Anything else? Sounds pretty good. Huh? Set free. Always there even though you don't feel them. Forgiven. All right. Stop. Anything else? You got, there's one thing. You're all saying really good stuff, but we've got to kind of bring it back around. And everything you said is yes and amen, all right? But there's one piece we're kind of missing right here that you all really know, and you did not say it yet. And it's not uncommon. 90% of churches I go to forget to say this one part. He said something, he died with a what? He died for our sins. He rose again. It's interesting. It's interesting. I've never, you know, when I asked this question, I wasn't like ever given it. I just thought, you know, whatever would be said. I mean, I, I didn't know what would be said. I mean, I figured that I would say death, resurrection, he loved us and all those things. And it was interesting. Everywhere I kept going, everybody just ended with his death and started talking about all the cool parts. And I asked the Lord, why is everybody remember your death but not the life? And he says, because the death is for them, the life was for me. It's not that we don't know it, it's just not an importance of us, unless it's like Easter. Now, I do know it's important to us, right? We do know. Every one of you, we go, yeah, but why did that not come out when we talked about the good news? And you said, well, we only had two minutes. It's one of the key pieces, otherwise there's no good news here, right. right? And I know you all know it. I know it. And if you didn't know it, today you get to know it. Jesus died and he rose again. Woo, that's good stuff. Now, let me ask you another question, though. And Jesus came to save me. To die on the cross, to raise again, to forgive my sins, because I'm a sinner, so that I can go to heaven. Who seems to be the subject of all that? <laughs> Smart guy. Do you think we might be listening to a partial conversation, all the facts, but still might be missing some truth here? That might open a whole new window of empowerment with God? You guys staying with me? And so here it is, and actually, I just want to make this clear. I'm going to talk about the cross at the very end, because most of us know that part, amen? And number two is that I believe what we're going to talk about today is going to empower the cross. But we might step across a few lines for you tonight. We might go past a few religious thinking tonight to see if we can open up the heavens to us tonight, amen? So we're just going to go for it and see what happens. Either I get a quick flight home or, or I get to hang out, but neither one matters. It's all good. Although I'm really having a good time eating here and hanging out with your pastors and stuff. It's fun. All right. So um, I'm looking at this screen like I'm going to pay attention. I'm like, that throws me off. I don't even know what that's saying. All right. So Luke 18, it says this, verse 31. Luke 18, verse 31. 
And it says this, he took the 12 aside. Now, what's important is he took who aside? The 12. It's important we know that. And Luke 18, if you actually look in Luke 19, I think it's in verse 18 or 20, sorry, in verse 29, it talks about Jesus going into Jerusalem, the triumphant entry. So four days he dies on the cross. The point of that is, is that the, Luke 18 is at the very end of Jesus' ministry. He's been ministering his earthly ministry for three to three and a half years. And he's now talking to who? Not the general audience. He's talking to 12 disciples for three to three and a half years who slept by him, ate with him, heard his sermons. He broke down his messages. He's empowered him, cast out demons, and healed the sick. I mean, these guys have been with Jesus a lot. Our school of ministry, most of the students do at least three years together. And in three years, they really get to know things you probably don't want to know about someone else, their roommates. And you get to know all kinds of things. You get to know everything, all kinds of little details you're probably not so interested in. And so here are the disciples. They've been with Jesus this intimately. They've been with him basically 24-7 unless he told them to go away for a little while. Right? And so they're with him. And it's at the end. Everybody say the end of Jesus' ministry. It says here, Then he took the twelve aside and said, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all the things are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles who will be mocked, insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day he will what? Come on, that's good news. Come on, isn't that good stuff? Come on. He will rise again. Now hold on. Who is he telling this to? At what time is he telling them? The end of his ministry. So he is telling them what we have just called the gospel. Because he is love. He's the rock of our world, right? He's all those things, right? Everything we, all the adjectives is very, very essence of who he is. He's probably, he has been demonstrating that for three and a half years. So now we know he just told them what we would call the gospel today, correct? Yeah. Next verse. But they, who's they? Understood how much of this? What does none mean in Greek? None. Good job. Greek scholars. None of these things. This saying was what? What does that mean? If, God's, if God wants to hide it from you, do you think you're really going to find it? And they did not know the things which were spoken. Now, hold on here. This is important. Three times the Holy Spirit makes it clear to you and I, the reader today, the timeline that the disciples were with Jesus for three and a half years, but had no idea what we call the gospel today at all, what was going on. So let me ask you a question. If they had no idea, three times the Holy Spirit makes it clear for the reader today that they had no idea what we would say is the gospel today was going to take place, then what were they preaching for three and a half years? Were they preaching the gospel, preparation of the gospel, describing the benefits of the gospel? Which one was it? Were they preaching the gospel, preaching the benefits of the gospel, or were they preparation for the gospel? Preparation. That's what I thought. Hmm. Now, I want us to go, we're in the same book, we're in Luke 18. Go down, back to Luke 9. So we're going backwards in time. We're not skipping around books, we're going backwards in time. I mean, like going back in time right now, we're going back in time, right? You're like, not me, I don't want to go back. This one's good, this is a good back in time. Luke 9, this is verse 6 we're going to go to. And Luke 9 is when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Everybody say two by two. And they would go, and they would cast the demons, heal the sick, and they took nothing with them, and they were going about. And this is after he tells them some instructions. This is what it says. So they, that's the disciples, departed, went through the towns, preaching what? They were preaching the what? 
But they could not tell you that Jesus is going to die and raise again. We're in Luke 9, and that was in Luke 18. They could not have told you that Jesus was going to die and raise again. They had no clue that was going to happen. We know that in Luke 18, they were absolutely clueless. Now pay attention. It doesn't say preaching a gospel. It says preaching the gospel. Anybody good at grammar around here? Yep. You probably might know this. I, I didn't know that at your age. But what is it? Do you know what it is? Do you say yes? You're good, at, you're good at grammar? How old are you? Nine in fourth grade. I don't think they taught you this. Okay. You can go back when you go to see your teacher tomorrow and impress them, all right? So, so this is what this is. That is singular, right? Gospel singular. But it could have said a gospel, which means there would just be a gospel. When it says the gospel, means the one and only gospel. You guys staying with me? I am a pastor, but he is the pastor. You guys staying with me? It changes. It changes everything in what that's said. Just because I use the word pastor isn't the key. The way, because we use the word the separates what's going on here. Now make it clear, the Holy Spirit knew that they knew nothing about Jesus dying and raising again, but was happy for Luke to write down that they preach the gospel. Wow. Now I want to make it clear, you and I cannot preach the gospel today without what Jesus did on the cross. But they were. So what were they preaching? Because it hadn't happened yet, right? And this is important. Many of you guys said the right answer. We're going to get to that in a minute, what they were preaching. But you didn't know that it was the gospel. You thought it was a preparation or a benefit of the gospel, which would change the power of the gospel. It is the gospel. And pay attention. When they preach the gospel, which is a definite article, meaning it's called pronouncing singular, one gospel, they were what? Healing where? Man, most of us are preaching the part of the gospel we have can barely see healing. Just be honest. We're lucky to get someone's hand up, and then we're lucky to get them up front, and then we're lucky to see them the next week. Come on now. Because they came to get the benefit. They didn't come for a life change. They came for salvation, not for what, they, what Jesus was coming to deliver, which then is the result of what Jesus delivered is salvation. But what was God delivering? I want you to turn with me to John chapter 18. Stay with me. Everybody all right? Don't get too upset yet. Stay with me. Here is at the end of Jesus' ministry, Pilate, who is a Gentile of Gentiles. He uh, only knows about Jesus because of what the people are saying. His wife had a dream too. It says stay away from him. But outside of that, he only knows what's going on by what the people are saying. He's not a Jew. Doesn't even want to be a Jew. He even says that earlier to Jesus. What do you think? I'm a Jew? Kind of mocking Jesus. And so Pilate is asking him a question, and, and uh, we see it in John 18, verse 37. Your baby is so fine with me, please. It's music to my ears. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? What's the question? Here's a Gentile talking to the king of kings. It says, are you a king then? Pilate didn't know it, but he just jumped into the larger conversation, didn't he? In his foolishness, he became wise somehow. And I love what Jesus says. Pay attention. Are you a king? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a what? For this cause I was what? Go ahead. I was born. And for this cause I've come to the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Who hears God's voice? Go backwards on that. Who hears God's voice? Those that are of the what? How many know the truth will set you free? 
But the, it's not a truth, it's the truth. There's lots of truths out there, but it's the truth. There's lots of truths about God, but there's the truth about God that will set you free. And what is that, the truth of God that will set us free? He says, everyone of, to, of the truth hears his voice. He's come to bear. Why was he born? Why did he come into this world according to Jesus? Many have told us, we ask the question, why did Jesus come? And many people say to save us, and that's true. Paul talks about that. Paul says he's come to save us. But if you want to know why I've come, should you ask Melissa or should you ask me? If you ask Melissa, she might say he loves to travel. He loved to say hi to Rachel's family. Hi, Rachel's family. And that's, those are all very true. But if you want to know why I've come, who should you ask? Me. And so here's Jesus. He asks, are you, Peter Pilate asks, are you a king? And Jesus then also answers him and describes why he was born and why he came to the world. Why was he born and why did he come to the world? To bear witness of the truth. What is the truth that he's bear witnessing according to the verses we just read? What was the question? So what's the truth? He's the king. Hold on, this is important. We didn't talk about anything he just did. We just talked about who he was. How many know most of the church is talking about what he's doing, has done, but not talking about who he is? Come on, this is important. This is important. So he says the truth, and the truth is that he is the king. How many know in the larger conversation, he just allowed Pilate to enter into the larger conversation that's been about a king and his culture, and he allowed Pilate to come on in. That's why Jesus in Matthew, uh, should turn with me to Luke 4.43, Luke 4.43. It says this, Jesus speaking, he says, but he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for this purpose I've been sent. Why was Jesus sent? Who's saying these words? Jesus is saying these words. He says, I've come to preach about who I am. I've come to preach about what I love and what I hate. And by the way, I'm healing people. And by the way, I'm setting people free from their sins and their sickness. But I've come to share about who I am. And so it goes on to go to with me to... Uh, Matthew 4, 17, the very first time Jesus could speak to the crowd. Matthew 4, 17, the very first time Jesus is speaking to the crowd. He just came out of the desert. He is 40 days in the desert. He was probably really dark and very dry. Not eating food. Have you ever seen somebody fast for 40 days? They go from looking normal to looking, oh my gosh, are you alive? Here comes Jesus, a carpenter. Calluses in his hands, worn face from being out in the desert, not eating any food, drinking any water. Says even the angels had to minister to him at some level. So his physical body is trying to catch up with his spirit man. He comes out of this desert. He is from Nazareth, supposedly. That's where everybody thinks he's from. Where it's nothing comes good from Nazareth. He was born from a woman that didn't have a husband. According to them, that's not okay. And that he's a carpenter and an unlearned man that comes to a bunch of people that believe they're Christians, or let me use this word, they were Jews that thought they had God, they're children of God, they were the children of God. He comes to them and says, repent. How many know that would be pretty, who, no, pay attention to this, Jews actually don't even think they have sin when they're born until they sin. And here comes this guy out of the desert, smelly, dirty, burnt, really skinny, not looking healthy, 
who doesn't have a dad, wasn't born with a dad, carpenter and untaught, and comes to a bunch of people and says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. How many know that would be pretty offensive? How many know it's happening in the church today the same way? And pay attention, he says, this is the first thing. He doesn't say repent because I love you. He doesn't repent because I'm your father. He doesn't say repent because I'm going to die and raise again. He says repent because of who I am. We're telling everybody repent because he died. I'm going to tell you no, repent for who he is. And then when you realize who he is, then you can receive what he's done. And that will give you the doorway unto the life that he's promising you. So repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Mark 1, verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching what? Who's preaching right now? Don't, not Dan Palmer. <laughs> Who's preaching right now? Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, right? He's preaching. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the what? Somebody tell me, man, we don't just need to preach. We just know God there and love people. Jesus preached. <laughs> he loved people too, but he preached. Amen? Come on now. Preach the gospel of what? What is the gospel then? The kingdom of God. Wow. That starts putting things in order. We're not taken away from anything. We're just getting the whole picture of something. We're not taken away from what Jesus did. We're embracing fully why he did it. Now pay attention. It says, Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Next verse, verse 15. And saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Why was he saying the kingdom of God's at hand? Here's Jesus being within reach saying repent. For the kingdom of God is right here. You can touch it. I used to think when I read the kingdom of God it meant like we're going to go to heaven someday. That's not what he prayed. He prayed that kingdom of heaven would come to us. Come on now. He taught us a prayer. Do you think he taught us a prayer that he doesn't want to answer? How many of us pray that prayer like it's never going to be answered? How many want to start being the answer of that prayer today? Oh, come on. Repent and believe in what? He told people to repent before he ever died and rose again. <laughs> I want to remind you, God saves. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to remind you, it's not two pieces of wood that save. It's God that saves. Keep that, keep that in your mindset. Woo! Principles do not hold God. God defines principles. Love does not describe God. God describes love. Oh, come on, church. Let God be God. Stop trying to put him in what you can contain. You'll miss him. He can't be squeezed in. Why, does, why do we have to repent and believe in the gospel and the gospel being the kingdom of God? Why is, that, why is the kingdom causes us to want to repent? It, it kind of makes sense that some guy died for me that loved me to pay for all the bad things I've done. That kind of makes sense. So I should repent, receive what he did for me. That's nice. It doesn't make a lot of sense that I need to repent because there's a kingdom of God at hand. What am I repenting of? And that's what the last part we want to talk about tonight. And we'll be done. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1. Verse 29. This is a key piece. John 1, 29. In John 1, 29, it says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Everybody say that word, the? <laughs> Lamb of God, who takes away what? 
What does that say again? How many of you mostly read that most of the time and you said the word sins of the world? It doesn't say sins. It's not plural. It's not just singular. It's a definite article. What is the sin of the world? It actually says it in Scripture 28 times. For those that love studying it, and maybe we could do it together one time, it's so amazing. It, like, messes me up. Romans 1 through 4 is plural, sins. 5 through 8 is the sin. Changes Romans 7 to how everybody views that so they keep on sinning and still get God. Not if you read it the way it says. <laughs> That's awesome. The sin, 28 times. Now, for those that love to study, you're only going to find it in Greek or Young's Little Translation. You won't find it in most translations. This one here is the sin is in all translations. I don't know why they don't translate it everywhere. They do say it's a common, not error, but something that theologians tend to do is leave out something like the word the, not understanding the significance of that time. But here it is, it says the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is the sin of the world? What did Lucifer want? To be like who? He had a desire to be like who? What does it say in James chapter 1? Does anybody remember James chapter 1 verse 14? It's not God that tempts you, but it's your own desires that tempt you, drag you away, that turn into sin, that eventually turn into the sin, that then turn into the death. Come on. It's your desires that turn in, good desires or bad desires. Remember we talked about that same tree? We need to get God desires. We need to get God's culture, not just our desires. He doesn't want your good desires. Your good desires will still equal death and taking over something you don't belong on. Now, what is, why did Eve, what, why did Eve fall? What was she offered? She was offered something good, but then Satan says something. Don't you know you can be like God, and what did she do? She took that fruit. What do you think the sin of the world is? The desire to want to be your own God. Maybe not the God, but a God. Remember Peter? Why do you think Peter followed Jesus for three and a half years? Why do you think any of the disciples followed Jesus for three and a half years? Because they're good guys? No. They knew that Jesus, they believed that Jesus was the king, or at least thought he could be the king, and that he was going to go and get rid of all the Romans, because at that time, Rome was captivated Jerusalem, and they enslaved the Israelites. They were looking for someone to start a revolution and rescue them from the Romans. Here comes Jesus. He's doing his power encounters. Men and women are following him. He's rising up the group. He wasn't the only Messiah. I want to make that clear. He's the only true Messiah. But there are many other ones who tried to be Messiahs, and they fell apart. What they're doing is trying to get a revolution against the Romans. You guys staying with me? Here comes Jesus. He has thousands of people. And Peter's following Jesus. Why do you think they're asking who's going to be first? They weren't talking about when they die and go to heaven. They're trying to figure out the order of the kingdom when Jesus takes over Jerusalem and gets rid of the Romans. Who's going to be the treasurer? Who's going to be over defense? They want to know these things. They're like, he's taking us common people to do it. He's not taking all these learned men. And that, do you understand why the learned men were upset about some guy that could possibly be king who was rejecting them? It wasn't just that they were so self-righteous. They are offended they wouldn't be picked if he's actually the right guy. Oh, come on, people. And here's Peter, though. He's following Jesus, not because he's Jesus, as much as he gets a position with Jesus. How many know there's many of us following Jesus because we want a position with Jesus? But what does he end up doing? Remember he pulls out a sword? (laughs) He can't pray. Remember, he can't spend time with Jesus. He falls asleep during that time. But he sure can pull out a sword when the time comes late at night. Pulls out a sword. How many know a lot of us don't spend a lot of time with God, but we see somebody mess up, man, we'll pull out a sword on them. Especially if they mess up, we're quoting scripture wrong. 
Man, you can mess up and do crack, but you mess up scripture, man. You're isolated, bro. You're just like done with. Man, you, you're a heretic. <laughs> Thank goodness God's picking good at picking up ears and putting them back on. And so here comes Peter. He has a sword. What's a fisherman doing with a sword? And here's the funny thing. Jesus plays into it. He says, hey, guys, grab that sword. <laughs> he tells him to get a sword. Jesus is really kind of funny. If you actually pay attention, he does a lot of funny stuff out there. Most people just think of him as a serious guy. I think he's actually full of jokes. He's like, hey, yeah, yeah, get, yeah grab that sword over there. You're probably going to want that. And here comes an army of some people to come and get Jesus. And Peter's like, I'll die for you. He will die if he gets a position. He won't die if he won't get a position. Oh, come on, people. He pulls out this sword and only an earthly person and not looking for a heavenly position. You know how many of us will cut off ears if we can get an earthly position? But as soon as we won't get an earthly position, we end up denying God and saying that didn't work out. And so here's Peter. He pulls out a sword. He cuts off the ear. Yeah. And Peter, Jesus is like, what are you doing? Revolution! You're the king! Right, I'm the king, but you're an idiot. Picks up the ear, <laughs> sticks it back on, and it says, take me. And everybody goes, Peter was afraid. He's afraid of losing his life. If he was afraid of losing his life, he wouldn't pull up a sword against a bunch of other guys of sorts. He didn't know who Jesus was anymore, and he was cursing to the point he got so mad. I don't know who he is. Three and a half years I wasted with him. I don't know who he is. Oh, no, I recognize. No, you don't recognize me. I don't even recognize me right now. Oh, come on, you guys getting this? Because he wanted an earthly position. He wanted a position instead of get God a position. Oh, come on. And listen, Satan wanted the throne. Eve just wanted a throne. Peter didn't want the throne. He was going to give that to Jesus. He just wanted to share the throne, a throne with him. Are you guys staying with me? And so the sin is the desire to be our own God. Now, how many know the Bible says all have sinned? How does a baby sin? A, a, a two-month-old baby can't talk, can't do much at all. I've had a lot of them. They do pretty much the same thing. Cry, poop, throw up, cry, poop, throw up, and then sleep. Not sleep when I sleep, sleep when I'm not sleeping, and then wake me up all night. That's what they do. Now, say a six-month-old baby. Let's put it here real quickly. I'm writing the word, thus sin. And next to it, I'm writing desire to be king or God, okay? Everybody with me? Small K, small G. Right here is a little seed. That's what I'm putting down here. There's a little, little plant, a little black seed there. And then I'm going to put a little piece of ground over it. That's the earth. There's a seed. How many know in a seed is a full power of a tree? So when you kick an acorn, you're kicking a full power of a thousand-year oak tree. It may not be there yet, but that power of it is in it. Are you guys staying with me? So here's a seed. My daughter's born, Adeline. Now, she cries because she needs a diaper change. She cries because she's hungry. But why else does she cry outside of those two needs? She wants attention. That's right. What else? Sleep, sometimes. Yeah. To be held. How many of you held them this way? Right, you got them. And all of a sudden they arch their back. So you pick them up, put them up this way, and they get quiet. Then you're like, okay, they're kind of quiet. You sit down, and they scream when you sit down. You did not change their position, so it's not their tummy. It's literally, you just go ahead and sit down, and all of a sudden they start screaming, like, oh, what's, what's with that extra foot? I don't know. They're absolutely happy there, though. Let me ask you, are they there to serve me, or are they requiring that I serve them by the screams? Let's, let me say something really clear. That baby does not love you. 
I know it's a real heartbreak for all of us. But if I handed that baby over to you, it would call you mom and love you and have no idea who I was or my wife was. You guys staying with me? That baby is building root system. She has what in her? This system right here, this seed is the sin. And she has a desire to be her own God and have, be a gossip and a king. And she'll scream until she gets her way. How many have ever met an 18-month-old or two-month? There's one right there. <laughs> you just came in perfect time. How many know those? Aren't they so cute? Small feet, big rear ends. Their hands can't go over their heads because their heads are too big. It's amazing. She seemed to be a little bit more proportioned, but my kids are very unproportioned. It's like they go like, you know, just, they got big old eyes, and it's, so, I, it's like my favorite age. I love it. And, uh, and then you'll be walking down, and just like that, you see the baby, and everybody's, they'll see my, see my Annalise Kate, my little Annalise Kate. She's animated. She has big old eyes, and she'll like look at you and go, and stop. And everybody's like, oh, I'm like, no, let's get on, you know, like, and then, but when she was like 18 months or two months old, and she's tripping over herself and stuff, we go to the store. Now, this really isn't my daughter, but pretend it's my daughter, because there's something we do, but I'll, I'll get to that later. But raising up a family. But typical child. You go through the door, and they see a ball. You don't see it typically as a parent, because you're looking ahead for the next thing you need to get at Walmart, especially at Walmart. You're on one end, you got the venture to the next end, you got to make base camp and all that, you got lots to do. So you're going across, and she sees the ball. Next thing you know, she pulls herself by her arm. Out of your hand, you look back, and like, oh, honey, come on. Everybody's like, oh, look how cute that kid is. Like, baby, we got to go. Baby, baby, put the, put the ball back. Put the ball back. And all of a sudden, that little cute thing that was just holding your hand and following you, what does it do all of a sudden? It doesn't. It's, a demon just came out. I promise. It's like, what just happened to my cute little angel? Ah! And everybody's like, oh, my Lord. And everybody's like looking over like you're abusing your kid. They're flopping. You're like, oh, get up. And they fall back. Like, I didn't know. Oh, I promise. You know, cameras are on you. You don't want to take 18 months old to Walmart. It's horrible unless you, like, lock them down. The people that get mad at kids that's on leashes don't get mad. I, I don't do it. We've got a better system, but I get it. It's, it's tough. And so, and so here it is. That little child, though, is the very first time that that stem came out. It's the first time that, daughter, that, that child can show its own will, its own desires, and is bearing fruits. What's the first three words of a baby? Mine, no, mom and dad. The two people that she runs around and the two words she wants to make sure she can disagree with you. <laughs> Is that not true? Now, there's a fruit, right? Very first time they can demonstrate fruit. They're full of the sin like everyone else. As innocent you might think they are, they're not innocent. And now you do that for 28 years or 30 years. How, much, how big is your tree and how much fruit is on this tree? And then you come to church on Sunday and say, God, forgive me of all my sins, right? Oh, got a racer. Got a racer. Praise God. Forgive me of all my sins. Monday comes around. Get a little attitude with the wife, right? A little irritation. A little anger, a little loss. You know, maybe a little traffic. At least in Atlanta we got that all the time. Tuesday something happens. Oh, I got to go to church. Get my game on with Jesus. God forgive me of all my sins. Thursday happens. Something, you know. Friday happens. Friday night. <laughs> Saturday morning's perfect. You're sleeping, right? And then Saturday afternoon. Saturday night. Saturday night light. Watching things you shouldn't watch. Oh my goodness, Pastor asked me to usher. 
pastor asked me to pray. Oh, I'm leading worship. God, forgive me of all my sins. Oh, how he loves me. Just loves me the way that I am. And this is where most Christians spend most of their life. It's a roller coaster. Totally repenting of all they've done, but never repented for who they want to be. And then we go to camps or conferences, and we do what farmers call pruning a tree. You guys know why a farmer prunes a tree? Bears more fruit, and that's what they do. They cut the branches way back. It makes it look like it's almost dead, but it still has life. I just did that to my wife's plant. It didn't work out the way I thought it would. It's not, I did it in the winter. I thought, oh, honey, it's going to come back. Say, what are you doing? You're killing it. I'm like, no, no, babe, I'm making it better. Don't worry. It's going to be awesome. Total springtime right now in Atlanta. And that thing is, I had to figure out when I get home how to dump it to make sure she forget about it. But yeah, it's, so anyway, here it is. And what we do, we go, man, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to do more outreach. I'm going to try harder. We get that good message and like, from now on, I'm going to be better. I'm going to get off Facebook, and it lasts for about a week. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop watching those movies. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. And about a month later, you're back, and your tree is even bigger than it was before, and your fruit is there. And the only difference between us and the world is this. The world brags about their size of fruit. I slept with this girl. I got in this fight. I slept with this other girl, and I watched this. You, you go hang out in the bar. They just tell you all the stuff they do. They don't hide it. And what do we do? We hide it with a fig leaf and tell people, praise God, we're just doing just fine. Come on, church. But see, because Jesus isn't just after your sins first. What is he after first? The root of all sin. What is the root of all sin? Why do you think he said, repent for the kingdom of God's at hand? Why do you think he said, not, he said, seek ye first, not salvation, but the kingdom? Because if you're seeking his kingdom, it means you want to get out of your kingdom. See, many of us have been sitting on a throne. Can I get a chair? Can you get me a chair, son? We've been sitting on a throne. Great job, Mom. You did a great job. That was fun for you, I'm sure, and tired and worn out. Put it up there for me, son. Thank you so much. There's a throne that we've never actually belonged on. And that we have sat on it when it never was ours. Because, see, we have the desire to be a king, but, see, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of what? <laughs> See, I always thought that like, like over England, you know, over that king over there, right? No, this king right here. Why do you think he said repent for the kingdom? He's telling me repent of what? Me wanting my own life and my ways. And many of us, see, we've done it like we talked about yesterday. I don't want to get too far in it. We're doing good. We're doing all the good things. We're going to church. We're doing charities. We're doing compassion things. We're doing all kinds of things. And we're, hey, God, you're awesome. Woo, you want to share it with me? Come on, God. Man, I'm, we're doing a good job, right? Oh, I messed up a few times, but overall, we're doing good. See, God wants you not just to repent of your evil. He wants you to repent of your good, too. Because the good was your idea. When you get a God idea, you'll know your good idea was never good in the first place. Oh, come on. It sets you free, man. We think good. We justify ourselves with the good that we do. Come on, my brothers and sisters. How many know if you're sitting on the throne you don't belong on, what is that called? It's called treason. And if you're doing treason, how many know if you're doing treason but you're doing a good job at it, it's still evil? Here's a story. A guy goes into, he's, a, a guy has a family, has a child, a couple of kids, a beautiful wife. 
He has to go on a long trip. He has a nice home. He has to go on a long trip. He has to go on a mission for something greater than himself. So he leaves. Another man's walking down. He wants to be loved. He doesn't have a place to live. He sees a guy with bags driving off. He says, well, I'll go into his house. He's going to be gone. I'll stay there. I need a place to live. Goes in, sees there's a wife there. Oh, I wanted to be loved. There's a woman here. I always wanted to be a dad. There's kids here. And he starts sleeping with the wife, acting like he's the husband. Starts trying to be a father. He's not good to any of them. Sometimes he's good, sometimes he's bad. Just leaves his clothes everywhere, takes, wears his dad's clothes because he doesn't have enough. Eats his food, uses a bank account, breaks things on accident, just leaves it the way it is. Doesn't clean up around him. It's not really his house, but he's enjoying the house, the benefits of it. But he goes outside, he takes really good care of the lawn. I mean, so well that the neighbors give him lawn month of the year, month of the week, or whatever it's called. Lawn of the month. Thank you. That was the words I was looking for, and I really messed that one up. I never got it, you can tell. And so he was clean, he did a really great job, and everybody's like really proud of him. He's like, Man, nice lawn. Now here comes the husband back. Do you think he's really interested in how nice that lawn is? Oh, come on, somebody. He sees his wife, sees her vulnerability and her pain and her brokenness, sees his home and his children torn up. Do you think that man could go, I know I messed up there, but look at the lawn. Didn't I do a good job? You never belonged on this property in the first place. Do you know how many people want to justify their God or their goodness to God when they never belonged on the throne they're sitting on? And here's the crazy thing. What about this guy, then how many know if there's a loaded gun and you find him in the, and you come back, your house is destroyed, your kids are weeping, everything's messed up, and you see your wife cringing with pain and hurt as this man's with her, and you walk in and there's a loaded gun. What do you want to do? <laughs> I'm sure no one would mind that you did it. But instead of you, instead of him giving the price, the owner says, I will take the price, knowing that most wouldn't get out of the bed. Knowing most wouldn't get out of the house. And many would claim how good they did in the lawn, and only a few would realize they didn't belong on the property and walk off. Oh, come on, someone. Are you guys kind of catch his death being pretty powerful here? What is the penalty for treason? Death. Doesn't matter if it's good treason or bad treason, it's treason. Are you guys staying with me? That's why people say, well, if I'm doing good, then how could a good God send me to hell? Because you're sitting on a throne you don't belong on. I don't care how nice you're doing this throne, it's still not yours. What king, if I'm sitting on a throne and defiling his throne, doing whatever I want on a throne that's not mine, defiling this thing, doing good and doing bad, just working out, trying to do my best, Messing the whole thing up, and he returns. Who should die? Me. But instead of me dying, he dies. And he doesn't just die any death, he dies of mockery. They said, If you're such a king, then get off that cross. They mock him. Little kings mocking the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. What king would do such a thing as this? And we're telling people, Oh, let God forgive you your sins so you can go to heaven. Brothers and sisters, you better get the kingdom of heaven if you ever want to meet with your king. We need to repent of the kingdom. We need to seek his kingdom first so we can get off the throne of our kingdom. And see, many of us, what we're, many of us, it says, it says this, that, here's the reality, that knowing that Jesus comes in and sees that we're sitting on thrones we don't belong on, 
He dies and raises again, but pays a huge price knowing that most of the world would never even call on his name. And that many would use his name to stay on their throne. Oh, come on. This was me, Pastor Dan, coming out of Bible college, preaching the word, seeing people getting healed. It was about the numbers. Oh, I wouldn't tell you that, but you get deep down in my heart, the thing that concerned me that night was who wasn't there. The thing that got me was people's responses, not God's response. Listen, your response isn't my issue. What I do to God right now is my issue. His response to me tonight is my issue. You liking me or not liking me is not my problem. My problem is that God smiles upon me today, that I'll speak boldly and proudly about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the thing that could drive us. But knowing that most would never know his name, and many would use it like I did and tell people that they could get Jesus and still be on their throne and be saved because Jesus loves you the way that you are and just ask him to forgive you for all that you've done. You're the subject, and he's the object. I didn't say it that way, but that's the things I said. Are you guys staying with me? I was locked into a partial conversation, and I believed the partial conversation. Why did I believe it? Because I wanted to believe it. It was written as easily as we just read in the scriptures. It was all there. But I didn't want to see it. Because it was about him and not me. That's against my nature. And so here he is, knowing that most wouldn't want to get thrown. How many know that Canada does not have a big army? They don't need one. Why? If someone invades their borders, who's going to come and rescue them? We are. We're going to send like six Navy SEALs up there and a couple drones. Do they want to become the 51st state? No. And many of us want a relationship with God. We just don't want to have a revolution with God. We're willing to share the throne. We're more interested in our calling than we are him sitting here. Pay attention. Most would not call it. Many would use it. He said many will try to enter the kingdom of God and will not. And only a few will love him for who he was. Oh, come on now. What king would die for a few? Knowing that most would never even care what he did, and many would use it for mockery for them to stay where they're at, not on purpose, but in reality. Who would, what king would do that? The king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, the great I Am. Most nights, I'm not going to preach this long, but I'm going to take my time. I'm almost done. I mean, I've already taken my time. But when you're preaching something like this and it's changing our hearts and putting things in perspective and in order, we better get it right and deal with all the questions possible. I have a parable, and I'm going to end on this parable. The farmer goes out and throws in wheat into a field, comes back to his house. Later, his servants come to him and says, the enemy of you has come and put tares in the field. Do you want us to go pull out the tares? And the good farmer who's Jesus, who loves his wheat, says, no, 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 no. If you pull out those tares right now, you might pull up some of my wheat, so let them grow together. Why do tares and wheat grow together? To test us? No. That the wheat wouldn't be pulled. Why is it possible for the servants to pull wheat when they're trying to pull tares? Because in the beginning, when wheat and tare grow, they actually look very similar like a single stalk and the little stems that come off, and they look really close. But see, he says, a good farmer says, but at the end of the age, at harvest time, then you can go. 
Then you can go and you can grab the, uh, the tares, bind them up, throw them in a fire, and then go harvest the wheat. And before I finish that parable, I want you to ask a question. What do you do when you go before a king? Why do you bow? Well, that's true. It's out of respect, but it's more than respect. Where do you make all your kingdom decisions from? Where do you govern yourself from? Why do you think he said, get the mind of Christ? Remember, Christ is not his last name. He's not Mr. Christ. Christ means the Messiah, the king. Put on, it says, put on the helmet of salvation. And when you go before the throne, do you know why they're always lifted up above you? Because your government can never be above his government. And why do you bow? You're willingly saying, your, your, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. You're bowing your kingdom under his kingdom. Are you guys staying with me? That's why you bow. Back to this. The wheat and tear, he says, at the end of the age or harvest time, you can go get it. Why at the end, but not in the beginning? Because at the end, the wheat gets what's called a head of grain on it. And guess what it causes to do? What's the tear doing? Oh, they both look the same, though. They both praise God. They both come to church. They both read scriptures. They both preach. Both listen. Both receive. Both pay tithes. But one does it for all he has. The other one does it for who he is. You can give and take away. I'll bless your name. I've had much, I've had little, neither matter. I don't need a prosperity gospel or, 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 or poverty gospel. I just need the king. Oh, come on. Set me free for me. Yeah. You guys catching that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down to an image that meant prosperity, future security, position, titles. And remember, the three guys were close to the king. They could affect all of Israel. They could help Israel. They could help benefit Israel. They were so close to the king, but they would not bow to what the king said bow to. But guess what? There's a lot of other Israelites. And when the music played, guess what happened? They were bowing. Well, I'm a teacher. I can't. I, I said I wouldn't talk about God. Wow, I hope that works out for you. And we bow to the music playing. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, we will not bow. And the king said to them, don't you know I have the power to kill you? And they said, don't you know our God has the power to save us? But then he says something even more. He says, but even if he doesn't save us, don't you know he's still our God? Whew, come on. It's a whole different story. Here's the good news. There's a king in town. Here's the bad news. If you're still king, you need to get off the throne. If you don't, it won't be good. Because the king of kings, the Lord Lord's coming this time. And he's not having taken any friends this time. He's coming for a bride that got off the throne. And he's not coming. He's, and he's going to deal with all those that still want to be on the throne. You're picking a fight. He's going to finish the fight. He doesn't want to, though. He wants you to volunteer. But see, if you're happy with your current condition, you can't have it. Blessed are the poor in spirits. The second thing he says. For theirs is the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means I am not. So you can be the great I am. What does it mean to be meek? I cannot, so now you can. Oh, come on, church. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. What does he want to do? He wants to wipe out this whole tree. Excuse my hands. Rip out the seed. Put a big gaping hole in there and drop a little seed and bury it. Welcome to salvation. The gospel is the kingdom of God. Now pay attention. Seek ye first the kingdom. Count the cost first. And first of importance is what he did for you so you can have his kingdom. We've been telling people, get the cross. One day he might become your Lord. <laughs> you call him Lord, 
A lot of us are calling the Lord, but we're not getting off the throne. We're declaring him a Lord, but we're not getting off the throne. Are you guys staying with me? Just because you, you say he's Lord doesn't mean you're confessing that he's your Lord. And hey, this, this is not just a lordship message. If it's a lordship message, then you just need to submit. It's a love message because it said repent for the kingdom. It didn't say repent because I'm just a king. Are you guys staying with me? He wants us to love his culture. He wants us, when we get to heaven, feel more at home than here on earth. Why we're on earth. Come on, somebody. Seek the kingdom, count the cost, receive what he did for you to be free, that he paid the price of your treason. And when we, commit, when we repent of our treason, it means we repent for our good and our bad, not just for our bad. Because we repent for the position we had. He's looking for the throne of our hearts. Bible college, being a pastor at 26, 27 years old in a really broken place, some guys started talking to me and started messing me up. And either they're heretics or I was a heretic. I found out I was a heretic just by my life alone. Imagine going to Bible college, being a pastor, and realizing living in a partial conversation and preaching one. I was really sad about it. I almost felt condemned about it. But he says, Dan, that's what people do when they have their own kingdoms. They do whatever it takes to hold on to the throne. He says, but I'll be easily to forgive you if you want to get off that throne. And what is the sin? The desire to be king. Hey, this, this is crazy. He, I get off the throne. I say, God, I don't belong here. And I go to leave. He says, no, 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 no. I paid the price. Come back to my throne. But it doesn't mean I, I still might want your throne, though. I still have desires for it. I haven't dealt with desires. It's okay. You can still come to the throne. Just keep your eyes on me and keep your hands off. And we'll do just fine. You guys staying with me? What king... What king would let you come back to his throne after you had his throne? Why wouldn't he keep me out in the very far, far, far field? That would be mercy. But he says, no, don't go out in the far, far, far field. Come and be with me on my throne. Come boldly. What king would do that? What king would take a guy like me? I was talking to some ladies, the ladies of the night, prostitutes, uh, princesses we call them. And they were in a meeting that I was talking to leadership and I preached the kingdom. I got the very end and I'm, I'm done on this right here. And at the very end, I said, I heard the Holy Spirit say, tell them something. So I began to say, I, I, I want you to know what you have done is not nearly as bad as I've done. Now, if you looked at our lives in the physical, you wouldn't think this. Pretty good guy, went to church, went to Bible school, was preaching, doing life like normal. I had a few mistakes in my life, but nothing like they're doing. They're in blatant sin. And I said, how, how, is it how are you worse than us? And I said, because here's the reality. You chose the sin, and you made it clear that you were doing it. You were just doing your own life. I acted like I was his, but kept my throne. I used his name to keep my throne, and I caused people to stay in their throne. Who's worse? Who committed worse treason, the prostitute or me? <laughs> Fell on my face. God, forgive me. Set me free for me. May the truth set us free. What's the truth? The king of kings in town. What does he want to set us free from? The desire for me to be, want to be my own king and get me off the throne. But see, only those that get off the throne are those that are poor in spirit. If you still have title, position, and doctrines that keep you where you're at, keep them. But those that are finally broken, go, man, what I've done. I don't want a throne. I don't want my title. I don't want my position. I don't want anything but the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And I went off that throne without any music playing, without any head bowed, with every eye open. I'm going to give an opportunity to say this. If you need this gospel, you need this kingdom, 
And you're saying, man, I've been part of a partial conversation, or I haven't been part of the conversation at all. And I want to get in, and I need the kingdom of God in my life. I need to be set free. I need to get off the throne of my life. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you've been in ministry. Maybe you've been doing things and doing a lot of great things. But you look in your life. You're looking at your prayer life. Who's it, what's it been about? You've been looking at what you study in the scriptures. What's that been about? You're more worried about people or, you, or God's presence. What are we thinking about? What's capturing our hearts? Are you more worried about your 401k and your business and your position, your title with your family? Or are you worried about your position before the king? And as I looked at my life 16 years ago, I realized the whole time that I was a part of a partial conversation, I was so upset. I was like, God, how could this be? Why didn't anybody tell me? He said, why weren't you hungry enough? Oh, but I was hungry that day and poor in spirit, and I've been poor in spirit ever since. And for 16 years, man. The kingdom has invaded me. I started out with a seed. I think I got a tree now. Tonight, if you need the kingdom, I don't care what your title or position is on earth, but today you want a position with the Lord. You want him to have a position in you. And maybe you're like Peter. You followed him for all the things he was and could do. And even that he was going to be a king, you knew that. But you wanted a seat next to him instead of letting him have a seat in you. He wants to set you free today. If you need this kingdom... Without any music, with every head up, with everybody looking at you. Because it's only for the poor in spirit. And you want to be set free from you. And you want to get off the throne of your life. I'm going to turn around so you don't feel like I'm staring at you to manipulate you because I don't need to do that whatsoever. If you need this kingdom and you need to get off the throne, I want you to stand. If I got the worship team come up, please. We're just going to worship for a little bit, and you can go as you need to go here in just a couple minutes. This is between you and the Lord, so take as long as you need to and take as short as you need to. Here's the question tonight. What you're really saying right now is, God, I've been on the throne, and I'm ready to get off. I want to not just love what you love. I also want to hate what you hate. I want your kingdom to come. I don't know if you have been fully on the throne or half cheeking it, but tonight you're saying, I want to be set free from me. Not only to be set free from all that I've done, I want to be set free from me. It's really awesome. He says, just ask me to come when I will come. Repent and get off that throne. Say, God, forgive me. I don't want to be on the throne anymore. Repentance means a 180 degree turn or turning away. Say, God, I'm, I'm walking away from my throne. I had to do it as a minister the gospel I had to get off that throne and find my salvation I didn't need another man to tell me I was a man of God I needed God to look at me and tell me I was his and I want to say something I laid hands and people were healed I had all the evidence of being saved but just like Matthew chapter 7 cast out demons heal the sick and prophesied even called him Lord Lord he says I do not know you I called him Lord I did it all but see I wasn't I didn't have the gospel as the kingdom I had the gospel of just salvation but when you get the gospel of the kingdom, you count the cost, then you get saved. See the order? It's important, isn't it? Tonight, we're repenting of our kingdom, but before you repent, you need to ask the question, are you ready to? Because it costs you everything. It'll cost you your past, that's good news. It'll cost you your future, that could be scary. It means you gotta give it all up. It says, do not worry about tomorrow. Who said that? A nice guy who died on the cross? No, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. 
Lord asked me to step into ministry, told me not to raise any support. And the year before, he told me not to save any money, so I had no money saved. Three kids, a house, and two cars. Stepped into a ministry downtown Atlanta without any church, nothing, a church plant. No salaries, nothing. Cost you everything. One time, uh, I just had my third child. I had two children at the time. And in that, in that year, we had our third child, my daughter, Micaiah. And Micaiah, um, I had two boys. And when I had two boys, that was so awesome because I, I just kind of like roughed them up and got them tough, you know, and get them ready for football, down to SEC football, and trying to get them tough. And, but I had a little girl, and man, I loved my children the same. But when she blinked, I freaked out, like, you hurt? Are you okay? Like, it was just so overprotective of her. And I remember we gave her to the Lord. We did the whole thing on the church thing. We, we gave her to the Lord up here in the altars and said, here you go. You can have our children and God. And, and the Lord came to me as I was studying Job. He says, can I have your children? I said, God, I already gave you my children. He says, no, Dan, can I have your children? And I'm studying Job. I'm like, what are you saying? He said, can I have your children? I wanted to answer say, yes, God, you can have my children. But I couldn't because I was thinking about my daughter, thinking about my sons. I knew what he was saying. I want, I'm going to... I, 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 their life before your life. Oh God, it took me a month. After a month, I said, yes, God, they're yours. Well, I go to El Salvador, take my family with me. They stand down in San Salvador and I go five hours into the jungle. We're building latrines because the people are going to the bathroom on the, on the sides of the mountain and it's going into the rivers and the baby's getting sick. So we're digging latrines and trying to teach them how to use the bathroom and, and digging these holes. We don't even have the right tools. We go with this, this different mission team and it was crazy and chaotic and awesome all at the same time. Sweaty and muddy and nasty. My wife and my three children are down there and my wife calls me on a satellite phone. The main director guy gives me this big old satellite phone. I hear my wife and my wife's one of the most calm people in the world. She's totally panicked, freaking out. She says, Dan. So what, babe, what's going on? She says, Micaiah. I call her Micaiah. She's not breathing. What? Seven minutes, she's, she's discolored. Her eyes are in her head. She's not breathing. What? Click. Phone goes off. It's all broken up. I can't get it fit. Come back. I'm like, man, we're out of here. I'm like, I go to step and tell the team. Let's go. And the Holy Spirit says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go see my daughter. Whose daughter? Your daughter but I need to go. Did I tell you to go? I'm digging a hole. I'm not preaching. I'm not laying my hands on anybody. I don't even know the language. Did I tell you to go? No. But my daughter, whose daughter, Dan? Your daughter. I dug a hole. Cost you everything. Absolutely everything. So right now you need to count the cost. Are you really willing to lay down everything right now? Everything you've been doing, everything you've been building, all your reputations and all the things you've done, are you willing to lay it down and say, God, I'm done, just your kingdom come? Think about it for a minute. Just think about it for a minute, and we'll go to the last part. you want to count that cost this is what you need to do declare yourself throneless and get off the throne of your life say God I don't want my kingdom anymore come 
let your kingdom come. Forgive me. I received the price you paid for my treason by you dying on the cross. How many know now you realize who died on the cross? It empowers what God did on the cross, does it not? Who would die? Him. You did that for me. Set me free from me. Set me free from all the fruit that I bear, the good and the evil. Set me free from that seed, that root of the sin. Take me. Take my throne and my life. Set me free from my kingdom. Begin to say it right now. Just begin to say it. It says with your mouth. Begin to say it right now. Just in your own prayers. Begin to confess it. God, set me free. Set me free from my kingdom. Set me free from me. I want your kingdom to come. I want to be the answer of the prayer you taught us. Heaven, your kingdom come. Your will be done right here in me as it is in heaven. Come right now. Let heaven invade me. Forgive me, God, for the desire of wanting to be my own king. Set me free from my kingdom. I want to love what you love and I want to hate what you hate. Come, oh God. Invade me, Lord. A revolution take place inside of me. All those that stood, just come forward real quick. I want you also to come forward. I want to pray with you as well. Come on, come forward. Those that stood, just come forward. If you should have stood, come forward. Some of you didn't stand. You thought, well, I'll just say the prayer down. There's something about sitting down and saying that prayer. You're really saying, I don't want people to see what I have to really do. Tell me how that's going to work out. So if you should have stood, just come forward. I want to pray with you. Just begin to declare his kingdom. Begin to declare his kingdom. Go. Kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Let his kingdom invade you. Let the revolution begin now. He comes with holes in his hands and says, I have done it for you. I'm in love with you. Yes, you committed treason. But I died to set you free.